Coming up next on Chapters, we'll have a conversation with Foxborough's own Allie Fisher. Since her graduation from Foxborough High School in 2014, Allie has managed to travel the world and become a real thought leader in the area of world peace. So stay tuned as we have a wide-ranging conversation with Foxborough's Allie Fisher coming up next on Chapters. My name's Jim Derrick, and welcome to another edition of Chapters. On today's program, we have Allie Fisher in studio from Foxborough, Massachusetts. Welcome, Allie. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Allie um, is a perfect example of why I love doing this program. I met Allie first at Foxborough Cable Access TV. We were uh, doing an interview over there with Bob Hickey, and um, I heard some of her story, and I was I was absolutely amazed and had, had to have her on. Allie, uh, by way of introduction, is a 2014 graduate of Foxborough High School. She is uh, currently employed by New Gen Peace Builders as an international research associate and is a senior at James Madison University. Yes, thank you so much. I love the concept of sharing people's stories and a lot of what I do as an international research associate is uh, hearing people's stories and conflict-ridden areas and seeing how we can bring new Gen Peace Builders to those areas. So I'm excited to be able to talk about that today and thank you. Yeah, your story your story is so compelling, as is the mission of, of the organization New Gen Peace Builders. Could you just tell us, before we get into the backstory, tell us a little bit about New Gen Peace Builders? Absolutely. Uh, so New Gen Peace Builders is a program for young people and it the ages of the young people vary based on um, what we think the local context is and what makes most sense. So I was in a cohort um, ages 18 to 24 um, and basically the program is set up so that there are six days of workshops uh, spread out over a couple of different months mm -hmm. and these workshops talk about peace in a way that I had never really talked about peace before. Sure. So um, in school, oftentimes we learn that peace is the absence of war, but we don't really talk about that peace is a lot more than that and that there are a lot more um, areas such as access to clean water and um, making sure that people have equal access right. to education and things like that. And so throughout those workshops, we also talk about inner peace and we had wonderful mentors um, who really uh, were, had been educated in peace and conflict resolution, and we learned a lot from them. And so I applied for this program and was accepted um, and had a wonderful cohort. And then the idea is that at the end, you're prepared to both plan and then implement a peace project. And so you have eight weeks to do that. Um, and I did a project called Connected Across Culture, and it was all um, incredibly empowering as a young person to realize that I could make a difference in my community yeah. um, in just eight weeks. You know, it, it is, that's compelling and, and um, such an important project. One of the things that I popped right out at me on the New Gen Peace Builders website is the statement that our young people are so often touted as as our future leaders and the future of our of our world. Um, you hear that at graduations at nauseum. However, very rarely do you see them invited to the table. And you and I were talking about that before the program. And that's exactly what this is doing. It's inviting our youth to the table to both train and to learn from each other. This isn't a one-way deal, is it? Right. Absolutely not. Um, so I think young people are often looked at as either victims or perpetrators or totally irrelevant when it comes to peace and conflict resolution. And I honestly felt that way for a long time. I thought, oh, I don't have my doctorate in alternative dispute resolution. So therefore, there's not much that I can do here. Right. Right. You know, and, and that I think young people are part of the marginalized, if you will, um, along with our elderly. 
Mm. Uh, you know, we tend to marginalize either end and say, well, you know, they're not quite year- there yet. They're not ready to contribute. I think it's just the way we our culture sort of developed over time. But um, in any event, uh, Allie has a fascinating story, as I mentioned before. And one of the reasons why I'm so compelled to do this this program with Allie is that most of the conversation that people my age are having these days have to do with the fact that our political climate is has been so rotten for so long, it, it seems a little bit hopeless to many of us. And, um, you know, I find myself a lot of times looking for the light you know, to be perfectly candid with you, mm-hmm. uh, either avoiding the subject altogether or or looking for the light. And where I see the light is in people like you, someone who's forward leaning and is uh, looking towards a bright future, not focusing on what's wrong uh, today uh, and harping on that. So with that said, Allie, um, let's talk a little bit about your formative years, because I'm really interested in the story. You grew up in Foxborough, Massachusetts. Yes, I did. First 18 years of my life yep. spent in the same house. Yep. Uh-huh. And and what was your, your youth like growing up? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I grew up um, in a pretty, I guess, standard household. I have a sister um, and my mom and my dad and um, a dog. Yeah. And um, I had this fascination and kind of obsession from a pretty early age, starting around age seven and second grade, where I felt like if I didn't live my life in a good enough way, mm-hmm. I would not um, have a very positive and enjoyable afterlife. And I was really concerned. Um, and so I became obsessed with making sure that I was doing the right thing all the time. And it was really stressful. Um, it was this is a, a really vivid memory for you. This isn't just like a passing thought. Right. Yeah. It was, I mean, I spent time homesick um, because of how I was feeling from a pretty, pretty young age. Um, and so throughout that time, I started getting involved with volunteering, um, but I wasn't necessarily enjoying it. I was mm-hmm. feeling like it was a duty. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got introduced to travel and explored a little bit more and started to do more things that I enjoyed. Uh-huh. Um, and with that, I also discovered my favorite quote, which is by E.B. White, who also wrote Charlotte's Web. Um, and it is, I wake up in the morning struggling between the decision to enjoy the world and the decision to improve the world. It makes love it that. hard to plan the day. I love that. Yeah. So, um, that really helped me realize that I could both enjoy uh, the work that I was doing and and do good work simultaneously, and it wasn't a mutually exclusive situation. Very, very powerful thing. And the fact is, you were awake and listening to this to this inner voice. Um, I I can't even remember being prior to age ten much, but uh, that's amazing. So that was really informative and instructive for you. Did you have a role model uh, in terms of activism or volunteerism? Sure. Um, so I joined the Foxborough Interact. Mm-hmm. When I was 13 in seventh grade, and uh, Lou Gordon, uh, he's from Attleboro, he was the leader and still is the leader of Interact, and he kind of became almost like a second father figure for me. Uh, He gives so much of himself. He spent so much time with us. He'd meet me for coffee, even outside of meetings, um, and really became a mentor. I mean, even still, I went hiking the other day, and he commented and said, someone knows where you are, right? You have a method of communication in case something happens to you. So um, he's just always been so great. And he actually gave me the opportunity to be a chaperone for the interact that I had been in 
in um, high, middle school and high school. Um, and so I was able to go to Mexico to an optometry clinic as a chaperone with these kids. Um, and yeah, he's been he's been wonderful. Yeah. So he really provided you a, a, a lens through which to view activism and volunteerism at the Rotarian level, right? Absolutely. And, and that those lessons have stayed with you. Yeah. Um, Clearly. Just, just learning that you know, no matter where you are, you can always do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and his vision, you know, including doing things locally, but also regionally and internationally and kind of having a combination of all of those things mm-hmm. um, was something that I really wanted to adopt for myself. Yeah. Yeah. And and from uh, so you're 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 then moving through high school uh, and uh, you're involved with the Rotary um, and you decide to do something very unusual your senior year. Can you talk to us about that? Yes. Um, So senior year of high school, I studied abroad in Adelaide, South Australia. Mm -hmm. um, at an international school. Can I just ask you, you said you studied abroad as a senior in high school. Is that common? It is not. I was going to say, I don't hear (laughs) about that that often. Yeah. So what happened was I wanted to be an international student, Mm -hmm. uh, exchange student through Rotary. Mm -hmm. But... Given the timeline of, you know, my my birthday being in November, which is relatively early, I would have been too old to do any Rotary Exchange program. And they like to send people to places where they don't speak the language. But I wanted to get credit and transfer over all of my classes. And I didn't think I could uh, succeed in another language for senior year of high school and get the grades that I wanted to get. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to go to an English speaking country. So I just Googled exchange programs. And I found one. Um, and I actually convinced my guidance counselor and my principal before I convinced my parents. Um, so that was interesting telling them, hey, so I got permission to do this thing. Yeah, that's amazing. You asked for you asked for forgiveness, not permission. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good lesson. That's an early learning lesson. Yeah. Something I do regularly now, my family will tell you. So uh, off to Australia you go. Yeah. Um, you don't really sit idly uh, idly while you're there. You're not just there uh, at the beach. Can right. you talk to us about right. a little bit? First of all, you you kept up with your Rotarian responsibilities while you were there. Yes. Um, well, you took it upon yourself. You didn't really have a responsibility, right? <laughs> right. So when I first got there, I was very focused on, you know, I'm in a new place. I'm meeting new people. Um, I was the only American there, and my nickname quickly became Miss America, which <laughs> I did not mind. What's wrong with that? Yeah. Um, so... After a little bit of time, I felt, you know, I'm I'm missing something that I had always done previously mm-hmm. and started to search Rotary clubs in the area. Um, and I, I found one and ended up um, getting very close with the club. So the club had a median age of 28. It was a relatively young club. But that being said, we also had a 98-year-old member who got her doctorate at age Fantastic. 98. Yeah. Um, and I got involved with leading a program called RILA, which stands for the Rotary Youth Leadership Awards, mm-hmm. um, where... Basically, we took young people and trained them um, in how to be leaders. So Mm. that was really exciting. And I also volunteered at a soup kitchen and homeless shelter while I was there um, and really enjoyed that. So it was, again, a perfect mix of having fun, making friends, being 18 and on my own and being able to have my own apartment and that sort of thing. But at the same time, um, giving back to a new community. And keeping up with your grades, which propelled you (laughs) on to James Madison. We're going to 
pick up there in a moment. I want to remind everybody we're speaking with Allie Fisher, a Foxborough resident, 2014 graduate of Foxborough High School. She's currently a James Madison University senior and, importantly, employed as an international research associate with New Gen Peacebuilders. My name is Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find our podcast at chaptersradio.com. So, Allie, back to the story. You are, you're in Australia. I, I want to kind of pause there for a second and ask you, as you're going through this experience um, and as you are cl- doing more than, I, I can tell you, more than many people twice your age would think of doing, all of your volunteerism, working at a soup kitchen, taking it upon yourself to do all of this. This is self-motivation. Can you remember what you were thinking in terms of uh, where this may lead you? I mean, was this, this wasn't just resume building. This is something that was coming from within you, right? Sure. An urge, a desire to give back. Yeah. So um, I actually don't believe that the word selfless exists. I don't think it's possible to be selfless. Um, You can have great intentions and do good things, but I don't think it necessarily comes from a place of selflessness. So for me, I enjoy what I do when I volunteer. I had amazing relationships at the soup kitchen that I worked at, um, making people smile, feeling like I'm capable, feeling like I can do something for others was incredibly empowering. And I gained wonderful friends. I mean, one of my best friends in the world, he's 44 years old. His name is Guy. Uh, He was homeless for a period of time in Australia. And I would go and talk to him twice a week. And we end up hanging out outside of the soup kitchen. He'd take me to museums. He was incredibly intelligent. Um, And so I think, you know, there's that that mix between helping and enjoying at the same time. Um, So really, it was that I wouldn't feel fulfilled if I wasn't doing something like that. And then the same thing with Rotary. Um, One of the beautiful things about it is that it's global. So no matter where I am, I can always find a club. Um, And that has been incredibly um, enriching for me to kind of almost have a group of friends before I even arrive somewhere because you know that there are people who share similar values, um, the motto service above self. Um, there we go, almost talking about selflessness again. But, right, right. Um, yeah. We all get something out of, out of activities, um, and, and that's really the way it should be. Um, but to have that type of an insight as an 18-year-old high school student, is, it's amazing. So you're finding uh, through experience that uh, the sense of purpose and, and helping other people uh, is not mutually exclusive from enjoying your life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the real takeaway uh, for you, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so then uh, so you, uh, you go through your, stu- your study abroad in Australia. You come back and graduate from Fo- Foxborough High School with your class? Yes. Yeah, so the school year in Australia is actually from January until um, like October. Mm -hmm. So I was there for a full year from January to January. So I wasn't able to graduate physically with them, but I did receive my diploma both from the U S and at Foxborough high school. And then also from Australia. Mm -hmm. And I was able to walk with my class there. Awesome. Fantastic. Fantastic. And you come back, clearly you're, you're changed. You've changed. All of these things have to be impacting you heavily. Your experience with Rotary, your experience with Australia, do you have the sense that the world is is open for you now the, with all this travel you did as a young person? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I definitely, my parents say all the time, the world is your oyster. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, that, came, that thought came to mind. I thought it sounded too cliche. I'm glad you said it. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Probably is too cliche, but there not we go. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> um, yeah, I think really what travel has introduced me to is just that there are so many different ways to be a human being yes. on planet Earth. 
Um, there are so many different ways of living. Um, you know, from I, I stayed with a polygamous family at one point in Cameroon and that opened my eyes like, hey, although this may not be my my version of reality, my version of quote unquote normal, um, I think, you know, it's it's normal to to people that are living that way, just right. like and a monogamous relationship, it wouldn't be normal to them. And you weren't in a position of judgment at that point. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because you were immersed. Yeah. yeah. And also just um, seeing how creative people are. So like in Cameroon, there's a shortage of small coins. Um, and so it's very difficult to make little transactions on the street if you want to buy a bag of peanuts mm-hmm. and it's very cheap, but you don't have the coins. So there's this thing called mobile money where you can send money basically via text. Um, and just seeing that that has been a technology that was created there, and we don't really do that in the U.S., although you know maybe we do now with Venmo, but it's just a totally different um, reason and a totally different inspiration and kind of a different use for it because um, like, you wouldn't use Venmo in a store, mm-hmm. but um, in Cameroon, um, you, you can use it for more transactions. So just seeing how people deal with their lives and react to them in really creative ways has been really inspiring. Yeah, I'll bet. And, and you know, you mentioned the world is your oyster, but by opening yourself up to these different cultures and by being immersed uh, with different types of people, you you gain a sense of empathy. You gain a sense of uh, perspective. I'm guessing that um, you become a little bit less judgmental when you first see something, mm-hmm. whether it's somebody you encounter here or anywhere for that matter, you become a little less judgmental because you have a new frame of reference. And um, to me, that's um, a critical part of leadership is being able to have all of those qualities, being able to sit in somebody else's shoes or being able to try to pause long enough to try to imagine where they might be coming from in a particular conversation. And you're dealing with conflict resolution and peace right now. Mm -hmm. What an essential part of the peace process is being able to have that frame of mind. Um, So, you go off to James Madison University. Mm-hmm. When did you go and take your next adventure, which was your internship? Sure. To Cameroon. Yes. Um, so the, I just got back about a month ago. Oh, okay. Um, so I was there the end of January until mid-May. All right. Um, and, yeah, so it was through the School of International Training, which is a study abroad, um, I guess, it has various programs all around the world. It's based in Brattleboro, Vermont. Yeah. Um, And so when I was looking for programs, I wanted something in French-speaking Africa. I had taken French since seventh grade, and I wanted to continue. Um, And then I, because of my background studying economics, I wanted to focus on economic development. And um, so I found basically the only program of its kind. Um, So it's called Economic Development and Social Change. And um, yeah, it was based in Yaoundé, Cameroon. So Cameroon's in West Central Africa. Um, and yeah, we, we took courses in French, in the culture, in the history of Cameroon. And then we also did internships for the last four weeks, either internships or independent research mm-hmm. projects. Mm-hmm. So it was an incredible experience. You had, and so <laughs> one of the funny experiences that you share, that I've heard you share is, is the, uh, is, is driving down the road in the, uh, uh driving, uh, riding down the road on this little motorbike. Yep. Um, and actually you were on it for hours. 
Yes, yes. Three, four hours. Can you talk about that experience and what you were doing? Absolutely. Um, So for my internship, I was working with an organization called Bakuda, Mm -hmm. or the Bagili Cultural and Development Association. Um, So the Bagili are a group of people that have been forced off of the land that they've always lived on. So they're indigenous peoples Mm -hmm. to Cameroon and have lived in the rainforest and lived off the land there. But then large companies have come in wanting to uh, have cocoa plantations or rubber plantations, and they've been forced off the land. And so part of my role was to um, go out to meet these groups, and uh, we would prepare agreements between um, other groups of people living in the area and the Big Yili so that they would receive a land title. So there would be government officials there, there would be the Big Yili community, and then usually the Bantu, which are another group that lived closely to the Big Yili. So they would get some land uh, rights back yes. in this in this transaction. Yes. Wow. Yep. And you're 22 years old at this point. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. So so now you've got to, you've got to go from from one area over to this uh, to this other um, Yes group of people uh, on a mission mm-hmm. bearing gifts. Can you talk? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So we were in the city and the Bagili were typically about 100 kilometers away from us. So 60 miles. Um, and we would take a motorcycle. Um, there would be three of us on the motorcycle and we would go the entire distance, um, and then we'd obviously have to go back. So sometimes it would take four hours to get where we were going, and then four hours back. And we'd also be carrying gifts for both of the communities to, uh, because we tried to make it kind of like a celebration. Sure. So we would have um, tomatoes and salt, um, and we'd have backpacks full of things. So we'd be really weighed down. We broke down a couple of times, <laughs> have mud all over me. But it was really, I mean, a wonderful, beautiful experience to get to see. Uh, these people finally obtain legal rights to land and the excitement that they had. It's It's got to be uh, tremendous. And I can't imagine uh, at my age, let alone 22 years old, um, being exposed to this type of thing. But what an experience. Now, Allie, when you leave, and clearly you're back now, you've been back for a month, are you still involved with the Bagdillian? Yes. Um, so I am still doing the social media page okay. and website um, and a bit of fundraising. It's definitely a little bit difficult to still be connected just because, um, you know, with with the distance and with the, the language barrier. So I, I speak fluent French at this point, but not necessarily for a professional setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so making sure that, you know, I sound professional enough is difficult so I can do English translations, yeah. but... Can be yeah. a um, I want to remind folks we are speaking with Allie Fisher. Allie is a Foxborough resident. She's a 2014 graduate of Foxborough High School. She's got a fascinating story. Uh, my name is Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find us at chaptersradio.com. Allie, you uh, now are in the honors program at James Madison uh, University. You're, in your, you're wrapping up your final year. And Allie, I wanted to kind of bring us forward on New Gen. Um, and I want to learn a little bit more about that. You are an international research associate uh, with NewGen. You're currently a senior, and you plan on continuing with them after school. Can you talk to us about the mission of NewGen? Yes. Um, I should say it's NewGen Peace Builders. Pardon me. <laughs> yes. Uh, so NewGen Peace Builders has the ultimate goal of raising the next generation of peace builders in the world and believes that everyone you know, like you were saying earlier, has a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone has a voice and something that they can add to the peace and conflict resolution dialogue. 
Um, so going through the program, I think what I really got out of it was just a huge sense of empowerment. So my peace project called Connected Across Culture um, was in my community in uh, Harrisonburg, Virginia, right where James Madison University is. And it is a sanctuary city. So there are a lot of refugees there. Um, and I had gotten close with a woman named Hager. Um, and she is Sudanese, um, and she told me a story about interacting with the police uh, in Harrisonburg. And so the story, basically, there's an international festival every year in Harrisonburg where people from about, I think it's 40 different um, nationalities have tables and share their culture, their food, their music. And so Hager was there to sing, or sorry, not to sing, uh, she was there to speak, and um she was dressed in traditional Sudanese clothing, and she had high heels on, and she was making her way through the big festival, yeah. and a police officer on a golf cart offered her a ride. And um, she said, okay, yes, please, thank you. But then she said the entire time that she was on the golf cart, she was looking down, she was scared, um, she didn't know what to say, she wouldn't make eye contact, and then she jumped off, said thank you, and still never looked at him. Um, so just hearing that experience and how my experience with police has always been so different. I mean, getting pulled over and getting a warning, um, sure, you know, nice, nice communication with officers, never been afraid. Um, and just thinking how how scary that would be every time you saw a cop car, you'd mm. have this feeling of panic. So we held a dialogue between Sudanese refugees mm. and the police in Harrisonburg. Um, we also had a high school principal there who talked about um, bullying. And it was this really beautiful event that um, where people were really able to openly share their feelings. Um, and so just knowing that in eight weeks I could plan this project with only two other people on my team um, and have, you know, there are about 50 people there plus 11 children um, of the Sudanese families. And it was just absolutely incredible. And now I think when I have an idea in my head, I can make something happen and I can really make a difference. And so for that, I'm forever grateful to New Gen Peace Builders. I absolutely love that. And, you know, I, I remember um, a long time ago I ran a marathon. My one and only. No, it wasn't Boston. It was Newport. But I was pretty proud of it. I managed to finish without walking. I remember the thought immediately after I finished. I now know I'm capable of a lot more than I ever imagined I was. Imagined I was. And I think that that's what you're saying Absolutely. is that here you are with eight weeks, two people on your team, and this this opportunity that popped up kind of serendipitously. You know, you had this conversation and you managed to pull off this program, which which really can impact people and make some change. Um I want to ask you about uh, how you feel about our current environment, political environment, not so much the politics of it, but do you feel a sense of dread? Do you feel a sense of hope? How do you what do you think our future holds? Yeah. Um, so I think mixed feelings and it depends on the day. Mm -hmm. I think that um, rather than being swept up in the general feeling, I try to create a sense of hope for myself and hopefully for the people around me. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not going to get into my political views, but I was, you know, communicating with someone and we had a lot of differences and he reacted pretty aggressively. Um, and so I just said, well, hold on, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. We both love hiking. We both love animals. We both uh, love the outdoors in general. 
we have all of these things in common. We have the same basic needs as human beings. Can we just take a moment and talk about the things we have in common before we get into the differences? Because right now I think we have way more in common than we're realizing. And um, I think there's a lot of power in taking that kind of a pause and just kind of thinking about the fact that we're all human beings um, and finding that sameness. And so that's kind of the hope that I found just that even if people have different ways of achieving a particular outcome, such as security um, or you know, having having the ability to have health care or whatever that outcome may be. People have different ways of getting there. Mm-hmm. We all kind of want the same thing. We mm-hmm. all want security. We all want access to health care. Mm-hmm. Um, we just have different pathways. And I think if we focus on those outcomes and other things that we have in common, uh, we can really break down a lot of walls. You've now got this worldview. You've got this view of the world that's that's different than a lot of people that haven't had the opportunity to travel. But it's, you're really calling that resource into, into use, and you're saying, you know what, I'm going I'm to look for what's common as opposed to what separates us. Um, how, what do you think the role of fear is in terms of uh, conflict? Do you, do you see, does that resonate with you? Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, in the research that I am currently doing with New Gen Peace Builders regarding um, Serbia, I guess a little, little case study about that, um, I think people have there's this idea of like ancient hatreds and like we were meant to hate each other because we're different and we're innately different um and there's no way that we can combat that and then you know leaders actually kind of take advantage of that feeling to gain power Mm -hmm. so they say you know i am this and there are other people that are the other and we are better than them and we are meant to fight with each other and we need to amass all the power and um so i think there's a lot of of fear you know of the other and um that it can become really difficult to be open to other narratives when you're so focused on the story of fear that you have you know i i tend to believe that that Fear is kind of the. There's two emotions, really, in my opinion: fear and love. It's not fear and hatred. I think we, we, uh, we, we tend to polarize and take opposite sides when we're afraid of something mm-hmm. or somebody. They don't look like me, so I'm going to cast some stones at them yeah. and see what happens in return. You know, that's kind of a primal thing that we do when we're bullying when we're young. Um, and, and but I think it carries on through adulthood, and 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 it can be shown culturally and and otherwise. I really think that. The anecdote to fear is what we're doing today, is conversation, Mm. is getting to know people, uh, is being immersed in situations that are very diverse, like you have been. You lived with a polygamist, um, and you were able to to empathize with them and say, you know what, maybe maybe I don't have all of the answers here. Absolutely. You know, maybe this is okay for them, and I'm okay with that if it's okay for them. So I I think that that's the anecdote. Um, And to the extent that we can have these types of conversations and keep our eyes open as opposed to walling ourselves off, I think that that fear dissipates and we're able to come together and look for those common common, uh, traits. Um, Allie, I'm I'm also curious as to your, your thoughts, and we touched on this a little bit earlier. How do you feel about changing the world? Yeah. Um, How do you feel? What's your role? What is my role? What what are, what does that mean to you? Let's change the world. So one thing that my dad says all the time that I've learned a lot from, you know, he'll he'll be working all day and then he'll do something around the house, he'll vacuum, whatever, and then he'll smile to himself and he'll say, there was progress today. Um, so I think my idea of that is that, you know, 
not all of us are going to be Gandhi. Not all of us are going to start revolutions, but we can all do something. And I think if the goal is progress, that's something that is achievable pretty much every day. And that's something that can make you feel good, make a little difference. It's kind of like the other night I was feeling a little, I don't know, almost bored. I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to watch TV. I didn't Mm -hmm. feel like reading my book. And I thought, you know, what can I do that will go towards progress? So I started looking up how my family could build a compost. Um, So just things like that, that, you know, seem like small gestures towards progress. But over time, if you do something like that every day, you really can make a difference. Um, So I think, you know, the idea of changing the world just sounds scary and overwhelming. And so if you think about it as, I just need to do something good. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, Because like you said, it's over. How do you change the world? I don't know how I'm going to change the world, but I can do one thing every day that is in keeping with my principles, yeah. uh, is in keeping with the fact that I want to keep my eyes open and not wall people off. I want to learn something new, whatever it happens to be. Um, it's a powerful example. And I think sharing your story is also an important thing because the more you're willing to share your story like you're doing today, you never know where that where that yeah. is going to land. Um, someone could hear your story and be inspired to do things and you'll never know about it. Yeah, I had uh, recently the amazing opportunity to speak at Foxborough High School for the French classes and then the middle school to an assembly of sixth graders. And so just, you know, saying I studied abroad senior year of high school and seeing the faces light up because that had never really been an idea. Um, And just wondering whose parents are going to hate me for (laughs) (laughs) for that one. (laughs) I can hear them right now shutting the dial down. (laughs) I want to remind everybody we're speaking with Allie Fisher. Allie's a 2004. 14 graduate of Foxborough High School. We are on Chapters Radio. Before we go, I'm just curious, what do you like to do? You mentioned hiking before. What do you do for, for fun? Yeah. Um, Beyond so I, all these <laughs> wonderful experiences. Yeah. Um, I love hiking and yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also enjoy music a lot. Um, so there's a band called NACO and Medicine for the People that um, is an indigenous uh, group. So the lead singer is Apache, Native American, and Filipino. Um, and Puerto Rican. No kidding. So he is indigenous through and through. All and, in one person. Yes. And all of his ancestors have uh, fought for indigenous rights. Um, and then right now I'm doing a lot of work for um, New Gen Peace Builders. And honestly, I, I think it's fun. Yeah. Um, I've gotten to interview. I could see that. Yeah. Um, I've gotten to interview a lot of professors. I've gotten to code interviews. So figure out how we can tell uh, the stories of you know, 40 different people kind of in a in a singular narrative mm-hmm. um, to try to encompass all of the different thoughts, but have a single story kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, so that's been really, really exciting. And I, I wanted to work for New Gen Peace Builders because I enjoyed the program so much and I believe in it so sure. much. And the the um, founder of New Gen Peace Builders, Patricia Schaefer, is absolutely incredible and has really taken me under her wing. Um, and so I I literally emailed and said, Hi, do you have any job openings? <laughs> and uh, she said yes. So yeah, it's been yeah. wonderful. Yeah, well, I'm, they are uh, as lucky to have you as you are to have them. Allie, I just can't thank you enough for coming in. Uh, it has been tremendous conversation. I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you. And I just can't wait to see what you do in the future with New Gen Peace Builders and beyond. Good luck with your graduation from James Madison. And please stay in touch. Thank you so much for having me. So for my guest, Allie Fisher, my name's Jim Derrick saying thanks for listening to Chapters Radio, and we'll see you next week.